1: This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our study of Jesus' Galilean ministry, specifically through Mark's perspective, as he recorded it in Mark chapter 3, verses 7-12. through 12. The Galilean ministry was a display of Jesus' divine authority and power. The only reasonable conclusion for those who actually witnessed it would be to conclude that he was indeed the divine Son of God, the promised Messiah. But sin makes men and women turn their eyes from the light and to willingly remain blind in the dark. After all, the only reasonable response is to acknowledge our sinfulness and bow down to him as Lord. But as we will continue to see, the vast majority of people are so compelled by their sin that they continue to shut their eyes and ears to the truth and who Jesus really is. If I were God, I would find that very frustrating, wouldn't you? But thank God, God is God, and his sovereign designs are never really ultimately frustrated. Our passage begins with the words, Jesus withdrew. Find out why he did as you listen in on today's slice of the message entitled, Frustrating Fame.
0: Now, in this case, it speaks of my servant, first person possessive pronoun, whom I have chosen. The speaker here, the I, is Elohim, God. He's identified that way way back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, where this huge discourse in Isaiah begins, and it describes God's special servant. In the context of Isaiah, the one who is called my servant is the one whom God the Father promises to send as the deliverer to the world. Later, in chapters 52 and 53, Isaiah is going to describe in detail the sufferings of this servant of his, who will bear the sins of mankind. Now, I said the words are important too, not just the meaning. I mean, you have to understand the meaning, but uh, don't go taking the words, my servant, and say, well, every time I see mine servant, that refers to Jesus. No, in the context of Isaiah, he's talking about a specific servant, but... My servant is used in the Old Testament for Abraham, Moses, Jacob, the whole nation of Israel, Caleb, David, Job, Eliakim, Nebuchadnezzar, Zerubbabel, and for anyone who follows Christ. So here, in this case, it describes this unique one who is clearly the Messiah. Isaiah predicted Him. Jesus was Him. Now, notice how he's described. The first two lines are parallel to one another. My servant equals my beloved. The phrase, whom I have chosen, parallels in whom my soul is well pleased. Well, we know that God has said clearly it is Jesus in whom he is well pleased. There's no accident that Mark quoted that. Or that, I'm sorry that Matthew uh, quoted that because we've already seen that announced at Jesus' baptism. It was in um, it was in Matthew chapter three. It's in Mark chapter one verse eleven. By the way, that phrase is going to be announced again at the Transfiguration. We'll see that when we get to Mark chapter nine. My son, in whom I am well pleased. The word uh, the word chosen here is an interesting one. You'll you'll see the word chosen several times in your New Testament, but. This one translates a word that's used nowhere else in the New Testament but it was it was used in secular Greek to describe someone irrevocably adopting a child into the family as an heir who could never be disowned. In other words, God is saying he has chosen to make this my servant, this special servant, the Messiah He is the one who is the heir to His kingdom, and nothing can change that. The next two lines build on each other. first one gives the reason for the second one. He says, I will put My Spirit upon Him. That means that there was this unique relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now we know that as God... Obviously, Jesus was already one with the Holy Spirit, but remember at His baptism and that there was that visible representation of the Holy Spirit coming upon the man Jesus. He was bestowed with the power to do what He did, and He did all of His miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or as Acts 10.38 summarizes it, God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. The result of that is contrary to the expectations of many of the power-hungry Pharisees of His day, He shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Yes, He came to His people, but He came to the whole world. Jesus is the Redeemer of all, not only of the Jews. It's like as God first said to Abraham, In you all the nations will be blessed. So this is the explanation of why Jesus refused to go along with the ones who wanted to take Him immediately to be their king, to be the king of their nation exclusively, to throw off their bondage to Rome. Jesus had a far bigger plan than that. He wasn't here to be political. He would have nothing to do with... A revolt. He taught his followers to submit themselves to whatever government they are under. He, would, he didn't come to set up a rebellion. Civil disobedience was the last thing on his mind. Verse 19, that's what it means when it says, He will not quarrel nor cry out. He's not going to be wrangling over things. That's what the word quarrel means. Uh, cry out means to shout or to make a loud noise. It's even used for a dog's barking. He didn't come to make noise and, and, and rouse people to, to action. He came to call people to repentance and faith. Jesus' message was a spiritual message. It was about the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said over and over again. Now, there will come the day when He comes again to rule the earth, but that wasn't the case in His first coming, and that's what Matthew is explaining to us. Jesus came, always spoke with dignity. He was always in control. He was always aiming truth at the heart and at the mind. He was not trying to stir up emotions. He came to bring compassion and salvation, not a political uprising. Jesus Himself had just said it in the midst of the conflict with the Pharisees over the Sabbath laws. Matthew's order of events follows Mark's order of events at this point. And earlier in Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus says this, and He's quoting from Hosea 6.6. 6. He says, But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So Matthew is going to reiterate. Look at the beginning of Matthew 12, 20. A battered reed He will not break off, and a smoldering wick He will not put out. Now, the he is Jesus. The he is the My Servant, which refers to Jesus. And he's, uh, Matthew is saying this is accurately describing Jesus. Now that's not terminology we use. Um, I don't think anybody has said the words "battered reed" to me all week or "smoldering wick." But in those days, this was a very vivid illustration. A reed could have many uses. You know, the reeds, the stuff that grow in the swamp or by the river. It could be a reed could be made into a flute, as a shepherd would use it to calm the sheep and while away the hours, but it would only last so long. It wasn't made of metal and it would become soft or cracked, so it was useless. So the the shepherd would break the weed and throw it away. Get another one. Or when an oil lamp would burn down to the point that the wick was too short to soak up the oil and produce a steady flame, the wick would only smolder and make a bunch of smoke, no light. Thus it was useless and it would be put out and thrown away just like the broken reed. Now commentators are unanimous in agreeing that the battered reed and the smoldering wick are symbols for people who are bruised and burned out. And the contrast is between Jesus, my servant, and the Pharisees. The Pharisees treated people who didn't fit in with them as worthless, useless, the ones to be cast aside. But Jesus sees them as precious, in need of repair, and worth the effort to show compassion to them. So while the Pharisees plan his murder in secret, while they continue to manipulate and intimidate people into following them, Jesus is pouring himself out in compassion for the downtrodden, for the weary, for the heavy-laden souls, for the have-nots, for the, the humble ones. Oh, and to the ultimate humiliation of the Pharisees, he also gave himself even to the Gentiles who would believe. So look at the end of verse 20 and the, verse 21 in Matthew 12 until he leads justice to victory and his na- and in his name the gentiles will hope. You see when Jesus comes again he will bring victory with him. Right will win ultimately. And all who trust in Him will have salvation, including both Jews and Gentiles. But it's not going to be because one kingdom of this world overcomes the others. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program.